number two, Jeff Cameron Show, 97 on ESPN Radio. Thanks for tuning to it. Happy Libations Friday. Lucy Goosey. Laid back, having some fun. Thanks for listening. Hope you're going to have a great weekend. If you're on YouTube, hello. Good to see you. Thanks so much. Great day at the uh, Open Championship. Update you quick. Louis Oosthuizen out there firing a cool 65 a day after throwing up a 64. Suffice to say, he feels very comfortable at the Open. He's at 11 under and your leader. There's still guys on the course. I'll update it later. I pulled this up before we even got started. So I think this is... This is an hour and a half old. I should probably pull up a new list. Just a note for uh, Louis's major rounds. Um, his position on the leaderboard after his last nine championship rounds, T1, 3, T2, T1, T3, T1, 2, 1, 1. And he's won how many of those events? Probably none. None of them. Yeah, some numbers out there on that that just blow me away. I don't think he's a choker. I'm not. I don't mean it that way. I I do think he's been lacking. He would tell. He would tell you that he should have closed a few of these. Um, look, there's no shame. John Rom went out and took it and made two incredible putts. And John Rom is, you know, a beast. I think John Rom's going to win in his career five six majors. I think he's that kind of a player. I think he's that he's he's that good. But I do think, and speaking of John Rom today, he went out and answered the call after shooting at seventy one yesterday and threw up a cool sixty four today. Well played, sir. You've positioned yourself to have a shot on the weekend of at least competing. You gotta go low again tomorrow. Uh but but you know, this this leaderboard, if I, I mean you're talking about guys in the clubhouse right now. Louis Oosthuizen, Colin Morikawa, and Jordan Spieth, 11, 9, 8, respectively, under par. This is firepower, man. This is fun. And then a whole host of other guys that are in it, including Brooks Kepka, who vaulted up the board today by shooting a 66. I mentioned John Rahm. I mentioned Tony Finau shot a 66 today. Um, Paul Casey shot a 67 today. He's right there. Dustin Johnson has awoken from his slumber and and played very well. Uh, Scotty Scheffler has played very, very well. Cam Smith, uh, Brian Harmon. I mean, just big names. You know, it's okay. Okay, this is interesting. I this is, is shaping up to be an awful lot of fun uh, as we head into and Daniel Berger. By the way, Florida State's own as well with a good round of golf today. A sixty-seven finds himself uh, three under. So, you know, how far back is too far back? Uh, you know, if you're if you're minus three or minus two, you're eight or nine off the lead. I don't know that you're going to make up nine strokes on the weekend, not without going super low tomorrow. I would guess you're going to have to fire in the neighborhood of a 62 tomorrow to give yourself a chance to be there on a Sunday, and even then you'll have to make a charge. How far back do you want to go? You want to say, I, I'll, I'll say three. I'll say that the 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 Daniel Burgers of the world and 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 you know guys like that have a chance to to win the tournament. It's a slim chance. Obviously, you'd rather be, you know, five or six off the lead as opposed to eight or nine. That that's pushing it. Because here's the problem: when you're trying to leap guys, 
you got to figure. So, like, if you're if you're that far back, if you're Tony Finau, who shot a 66 today, you're four under par. You're you're in the mix. You're obviously headed to the weekend with a shot if you go really low tomorrow. But you're going to have to leap Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Paul Casey, Jordan Spieth, Colin Morikawa, Louis Oosthuizen. You know, you see where I'm going? John Rahm. What are the chances the names that I just rolled out there? Oosthuizen, Morikawa, Spieth, Rahm, Scheffler, Johnson, Casey are all going to be average on a Saturday while you charge with a 62 to put yourself in position to win it on a Sunday. You could maybe half that. You could put yourself to where thou on a Sunday you only need to find a way to catch four guys. Even then, that's daunting but it's that's at least doable 10 is not i don't think reasonable to expect especially because guys the weather is good the weather's been good you what you would need is for somebody to go early tomorrow and suffer inclement weather and back up and then that weather softens the course somehow and you go out there and it's not windy and you're firing darts and you shoot low. You could have it happen. And that's one of the elements about the British Open that I hate when it does happen. I don't like that that is the one major that they play where the timing of your – you know, listen, there's always an advantage to teeing off. You can usually find the, the, the early late or the late early back-to-back days and you, you'll, you'll be able to discern somebody had an advantage and a disadvantage, but it's usually minimal. It's it's not something where, oh, if you went off late, early, early, late, the difference is the weather changed by you know, 25 miles per hour for wind and there was rain and you know, all of a sudden the, the course softened to a place for one group but not the other, that it's a 10-stroke difference. But that does happen at the damn Open. It cost Tiger a major, uh, an Open championship. The one year he shot that 80, he would have won the championship. He was great the other three rounds. He got screwed. He got caught up in that deluge, that freaking hurricane. He'll never complain about it, but that one has always pissed me off. I mean, that he's going to win that tournament. Didn't he go like 80-67 or 82-67? You're like, mm-hmm. Crazy-ass outlier, swirling winds at 40 miles per hour. Frigidly cold. You're like, Jesus, these guys are out here dying. Fun, though, when you get it right like this, when it's just steady, um, you know, you, I, I get excited about stuff like that. I get I get pumped. I got nowhere else to go. <laughs> I, did, I did the thing that I would tell young broadcasters not to do, which is to completely disregard everything you'd prepared to say, go off on a tangent about what you're thinking about a leaderboard, only to realize there's no getting good. You can't just suddenly make a turn and go somewhere else that uh, segues nicely. So there you go. That's uh, that's what I just did. Here's music. Here comes the dread and denial. Here's where you've been all the way. Here comes some sick of groveling. Here comes the only thing that ever happened. Here comes I hate you. And I'm giving back all that you gave to me. Cause lately I've been dreaming of angels and cranes.
I didn't see these questions earlier. Somebody, Kevin writes, how many dingers could you hit from second base at the Home Run Derby, if any, and there are a lot of time of a three-minute segment? I could hit a lot from second base. I could hit a lot from second base. I That I know. Uh, less with a wooden bat, but still a lot. From second base? Oh, yeah. Yeah, easily. Uh, I don't know what the number would be, but I think I think it probably hit a lot. Um, now, the answer is zero from home plate, so I'm not fooling myself. I'm just letting you know the answer is zero from home plate. Uh, as far as this other question, Jeremy writes, if you could live as any non-human species, what would you pick and why? I like that, Jeremy. Uh, if I could live as any non I I am always tempted to say gorilla here, but the problem is that my habitat is being encroached upon on a daily basis and soon will be wiped off the face of the earth, and then thus I will live no more. And it's like the same is true for elephants, you know? Like, I'd like to be an elephant. They're smart as hell. Uh, they're communal. Um, they, 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 they have a, a family dynamic, a, a social structure. Uh, nobody can mess with them unless they're poachers. People shoot them. But other than that, that's because human beings suck. Uh, other than that, um, nothing can attack an elephant and, and kill it. So I want to be something that you can't just roll up on and decide to do something to. Like if I'm a gorilla, good luck. Uh, I'd be a silverback. There's not much you're going to do with me. <laughs> That's the end of this. This fight's over. But also I want, you know, the love and caring and kindness of family and social structure and the ability to live as a family unit. Um, it's it's what uh, makes you want to live now, you know, is is, is the love of others um, and, and, and those relationship dynamics. Uh, not to get all serious on you, but I always, that's the way I think about it. The only other thing I think about occasionally is wouldn't it be pretty cool to be a dolphin? Uh, they can haul ass, avoid trouble that way. They're smart. They also live in family pods. They're, they, they have high levels of communication. They play. They spend a lot of time having fun together. They hunt together. They do a lot of things together. But I don't think, now of course if you're a dolphin, you probably think it's a great thing, but I would just say, being in the ocean all the time would kind of get old. Then again, if you're a dolphin, you might think living on land all the time might get old. I mean, the ocean is so vast. There's so much to explore, but it all pretty much looks the same. Not a lot of variety when you're in the ocean. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't go visit the waterfalls like we can here or mountains like we can here. We can go to the ocean. We can go to the mountains. We can see different uh, different continents and, and what they Provide geographically what the you know the aesthetic changes pretty dramatically, elevation changes, jungle, desert, you name it, very different. The ocean's the ocean, baby. You're just rolling out there in the ocean. There are beautiful aspects of the ocean. I'm not losing sight of that. I you know maybe maybe that's foolhardy. What's your answer? I'm not going to be a lizard. I'm not going to be an insect. I'm not going to be a bird. Birds are always starving, fighting, hunting, fighting for life. It's just not good. Too many other birds, even if you're like a big-ass eagle, just not a good thing. No, don't like it. The ability to fly would be cool, but. Uh, you named both my answers. I would have said elephant um, because ele elephants are my favorite animal. Well, they're beautiful. They're awesome, and it breaks my heart that poachers do what they do. And I would have said either a dolphin or shark. Like a great white shark, yeah. big-ass great white shark. Here's the thing. 
I thought about Great White Shark, but then I changed my opinion. Killer whales. Nothing Fs with killer whales, and they kill sharks all the time. So if I'm going to be a beastly fish of some kind, are they mammals? Look up what a killer whale is. I feel like ignorant as hell. Killer whales are what? <laughs> what? Uh, he's looking it up right now. This is great radio. An orca is a marine mammal. Marine mammal. I said, aren't they mammals? I remembered. Yay. Yay, school. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with uh, killer whales. That's a pretty good one if I got to be in the ocean. Good question. Thank you, Jeremy. Would never want to be anything that is prey. Don't want to be prey. That's why we enjoy on the Jeff Cameron Show having so many conversations about people who die terrible deaths as indeed prey. Not good. Real quick nugget from the British Open. Jordan Spieth's in the clubhouse. 36 holes played with what? What is that? That number? Spieth? Spieth's at 8 under. All right. Listen up. Interesting to note. Jordan Spieth's lowest 36-hole scores in majors. In 2015, 130 went on to win. That was at the Masters. 2017, at the Open, 134 went on to win. It's 2021, 132, the number. Does he go on to win? Of course, Louie and others have a lot to say about it. This is going to be a fun weekend. Jeff Cameron Show, 97 at ESPN Radio. You know what's funny? I'm surprised this kind of thing doesn't happen more often. When you get a chance uh, to catch up on the highlights from Friday at the Open, go uh, check out our friend Terrell Hatton, who flipped a bird to a fan in the gallery and snapped a club. Good day at the office for Terrell Hatton. Uh, I say I'm not surprised. I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. Not the flipping of the bird to a member of the crowd or the gallery, but rather the snapping of clubs. Golf is really frustrating. <laughs> it can be very difficult. Uh, he misses a putt. He walked towards the hole and then flipped off a member of the gallery who had a reaction to his missed putt that he didn't enjoy. So there's that. Uh, it was caught on camera, uh, was in plain sight, 
as he watched the ball rolling towards the hole, knowing that he did not hit the center of the face. There's a hot mic that you can hear. Now, they'll probably, upon replay, make it so you can't hear this, but there, there's a hot mic where as he's walking towards the ball, Matthew, he says, effing bollocks, which is a great, but he doesn't say effing. And um, <laughs> that's where he's walking. This is near the 11th green, and he's walking off the hole. He reiterates that and has a message for one of the fans. Uh, he's He hit an errant shot earlier in the round, um, and as he did, I saw that, and he was not happy about the shot, and as he walked towards the bag, he snapped the club. So I have that video pulled up, and what I appreciate about that is most players just try to break it over the over knee. Over their knee real quick, not him. But he is making sure that this club is broken. Yeah. There's no ifs, ands, or buts well, about he this. stomps it out. Yeah. Puts it on the ground, stomps it, it stomps. like two or three times. Yeah. <laughs> this club is going to be broken. Yeah. And it, it is. And my favorite part about it is as he's stomping it, like he's in Goodfellas, and we're at the bar past midnight, past two, and somebody's got to go, he walks towards his bag and then shows the evidence as he pulls it up and it's snapped. And, yeah. That's a toughie, man. That's a, you know, it's one I will say this, um that is not a really good indicator of uh maturity and or having to check on your emotions at a pretty important event. I mean, it's uh I mean, if you think about uh I I'll say this, we interviewed Bones last week, Phil Mickelson's longtime caddy for 25 years, and he suggested to me that one of the keys to for a player to get the most out of a round is to not be negative. You can be mad, but you can never be negative on the golf course. And he says that, in essence, if you're mad, that's fine. Be mad for the moment. Hit a bad shot. If you have to, whatever it is that you do to release the tension, drop an F-bomb or whatever it might be, uh, but then you cannot turn that into negativity. It has to mad doesn't equal negative. It's a moment where you it's a release, but it's on to the next shot. You're gonna hit bad shots, it's golf. You're gonna get bad breaks, it's golf. You can't but this is somebody who's sustaining a level of anger that turns to negativity on the golf course. And you can't I mean, Rahm has had to overcome this. John Rahm has had to overcome this. He's a fiery dude. And I respect the hell out of that. Tiger Woods is really fiery. I mean they demand a lot out of themselves at the highest levels with a lot on the line, and they care deeply, and I got no problem with that. But when you see guys throwing clubs, I mean, you're a professional golfer. Get the hell over yourself. Stop that. You can't throw a golf club. What are you doing? Snapping a glove in, a club in half, okay. I, not a good look. Beats the hell out of hitting your golf bag. Which, by the way, I'll tell you a story. Brooks Kepka at Florida State University hit his golf bag, hit the Seminole head on the golf bag, and was pulled aside by Trey Jones and told in no uncertain terms that'll never happen again. And he said it was the last time it ever happened and that he never showed his emotions like that again. Trey basically said, have respect for yourself, but moreover, have respect for that logo for this university you represent. You cannot do that ever. I think that's pretty cool. You know, that's like because your your college golf coaches are on the course with the players. And he said Brooks was kind of hot back in the day when he first got here. He he had he was emotional. He was emotionally charged. On the one hand, you like a guy that cares. On the other, you gotta keep you gotta keep that in check. You gotta understand 
how to comport yourself, and also what you represent, especially in college. Now, that brings me to something else, what you represent. And I am so glad that Bryson DeChambeau yesterday was basically called out by everybody in the world of golf for being a buffoon. Um, You cannot do what he did yesterday and not have there be repercussions. But get this, and this is mad respect for this guy representing Cobra who is not having it. I suspect this relationship may be fractured beyond repair. We're going to find out real soon. You're not going to find out about it in the middle of the open. But I would not be surprised if we saw a parting of the ways from Cobra and Bryson DeChambeau. So yesterday, DeChambeau, after a round in which he hits four of 14 fairways, is livid. And rather than blaming himself for hitting the ball poorly and offline, he blamed the club, the club face, the driver, the manufacturer. Put him on blast publicly in the press room. Not what you do. If I can hit it down the middle of the fairway, that's great. But with this driver right now, well, the driver sucks. Mm. Not I sucked. The driver sucks. That's the quote. He went on to expound about how he's living on the razor's edge and they've been working on it for years and they can't get it right. So now he's complaining about the relationship, the ongoing relationship, and the problems he's had as they go to work to try to make this driver suited perfectly in a way that no other driver has made, I might add, because of his demanding uh, presets. That comment from him elicited this response, some would say drew the ire of, Ben Showman, who is a tour operations manager for Cobra Golf. Most of the time, those kinds of guys representing a manufacturer are not going to state anything publicly about their player, the player that they're giving millions of dollars to to best represent their equipment. But clearly, this crossed the line to a place where he decided, okay, okay, we'll have to defend ourselves. Here we go. And he said this about that. And by the way, Ben caddied for DeChambeau at the Rocket Mortgage Classic two weeks ago. Keep in mind, DeChambeau won the Rocket Mortgage, whatever it was, a couple... No, he didn't win it. He Yes, he did win it two years ago. And they're a sponsor. They're on his bag. They're on his shirt. They're a sponsor. He played poorly and refused to talk to the press two days in a row. As the reigning champion of an event, as sponsored by one of his people, he didn't talk to the press. That is not exactly being a great ambassador or gracious champion at the event for your sponsor. So this is now twice in the last three weeks we have a guy who's turning his back and whining about sponsors who pay him millions of dollars. Not a good look. Quote from Shaman yesterday. He's never really been happy, ever. Which, A, is funny. It's just really, really painful when he says something that stupid. That's also awesome. It's very rare when he's happy. I know that if I got him cornered right now and I said, what the hell did you say that for? He would say, oh, I'm mad that he didn't really mean to say it. He knows how much everybody bends over backwards for that guy, but it's still, man, that's not cool. 
All right, so uh, it's important that people understand the amount of hours that these sponsors put in for these golfers, specifically on clubs. Correct. To make them absolutely perfect. It's not like he just went into Dick's Sporting Goods and, <laughs> and just bought a, a Cobra right. and was like, oh, this driver sucks. Right. These are made for him. They're engineered by engineers, some of the smartest people in all the land who spend countless hours trying to placate this individual. Well, now, listen, that's their job. I'm not saying that, uh, they're, you know, that they're bending over backwards for no reason. They're paid handsomely, and they are sponsoring him. So Tiger Woods is very demanding on club manufacturers. All of the players are. You're, this is their chosen profession. Millions of dollars are at stake every week. You want a club that performs the way you want it to. Now, there's a difference between a club not giving you the result that you want when you put a good swing on it, as opposed to you're not playing well. You got a hitch in your giddy up. You're coming over the top. You're doing something silly. You get stuck at the down, whatever it might be. That's you. That's a you problem. That's your swing sucks. If you go over to Edwin Watts and you get fitted, one of the one of the things that's really fun about that process is they're going to work with you. They're going to figure out what your swing plane is and what you do. But if you consistently mishit the golf ball, that ain't the club's fault. They're going to tell you, well, we think this club is probably best suited for you, but you're missing the center of the face. That's a swing problem. You're going to need to see a coach. We can't fix that here. We can tell you based on your body type, length, all of that, what you should be hitting or what seems to suit you, we can't make you hit the center of the club face. Either you can or you can't. And if you can't, you need to go see somebody who can teach you to do that. So this, to me, is a guy who is not hitting the driver online because he is seeking to overpower a Lynx golf course, and that doesn't play. There's art to this, and he's not engaging in the art. He's trying to overpower. Yeah, one of the better comments from players was Justin Thomas yesterday. I don't know if you saw that. No. He said, uh, never would have thought swinging at 135-plus miles an hour, it'd be hard to drive it straight. You'd think Mr. Physics would know that. Whoa. That's funny. That's funny. Well, the players, so this is fascinating. I love this stuff. This is a little bit... Uh, in the weeds, but you know, we talk about player feuds all the time and I don't really care about that stuff. There are plenty of guys on tour that don't like each other, but the, the truth is that's overrated. Let me tell you why they don't talk anyhow, man. They're all individual corporations. I mean, there are guys that are friends on tour. Sure. But when they get paired with guys that they don't particularly like, they don't care. They're so concentrated on what they have to do their next shot. It's them and their caddy bones told me two weeks ago. That for 25 years while caddying for Phil Mickelson, he never watched another caddy to see what they were doing. He didn't have time. And that when he became an analyst, he learned, like, there are other ways to do this job and that it was eye-opening. Like, he, like he's proud of his work, but he thought, oh, that, well, that's interesting. I would incorporate that if I went back out there. And he has. When he's gone back out there for Justin or other people or he does something for the champion, he's thought, oh, that guy does something. That's a good thing to do. But the point is, they were so locked in on their guy all the time, reading body language, reading the room. You got to know, where's his head at right now? Does he need an infusion of confidence? Is he feeling it right now? Do I need to shut up and get out of the way? You know, what is, you know, what does he need from me right now? What information? 
Nothing? All of it? Something in between? So you don't have time. The point being that if if, if Brooks Kepka is playing along DeChambeau, and it's obvious Brooks hates Bryce and DeChambeau, and I think for good reason, um, or he, at the very least just really dislikes him, so do most of the guys on the tour, I might add. Uh, it, it would not turn into some Donny Brook on the first tee. It's not going to happen. They're not going to fight. So the deal is this. He would... Stand off to the side. Brooks would tee off. Then Bryson would tee off. They won't say a word to each other. They'll walk with their caddies 10 yards apart, and they'll go find their ball. And that's what will happen. Yeah, we were talking a little bit yesterday about the press conferences from the Open. Um, he was Brooks was asked about that specifically. Yeah. About uh, the potential Ryder Cup pairing. And he said, you can put aside anything for business for a week. It's not like... It's not hard. Like you said, it's not like we're going to go out here and fight. No, and also, by the way, if you if there's a common cause... You're both trying to win, whether it's in business or in this case competition. I don't know. You know. You know. It's just you don't think about it. I, I, I've I've been very fortunate to work with mostly people that I've gotten along with, but there have been plenty of people that I don't. That there have been plenty of people that I've thought you don't get it. What we're trying to do here, and you know what? I don't spend a lot of time talking to them. I just come in and do what I'm supposed to do, and let them worry about what they're supposed to do. And if there's a problem, we need to iron it out, then we'll sit down and talk about it. But I don't belabor it and they wouldn't either and so that's how that goes but what i think is interesting about justin thomas comments that you just said there is that players have a a great appreciation well if they're well balanced and are able to be honest with themselves they have a great appreciation for the life that they have and the, the life that they're able to lead partly not just because of their hard work of which there is countless hours that go into this and they deserve the credit for getting there. They have a talent. They have refined that talent. They have whittled down uh, every second of every day to get the most out of that talent if possible. And that's great. That's good. They have a responsibility to do that. And then they're paid very handsomely for doing it. And when a sponsor comes on board, say like NetJets or somebody along those lines that allows you to fly all over the world and work on your craft to make millions of dollars while also paying you 20 24 25 million dollars the last thing on earth they expect to hear from the player is your product the thing i'm using the money you give me yeah it's all for not this sucks no that's you're a child at that point a petulant child and ungrateful and that's why you hear some of that backlash. Lots of players thought that was pretty damn funny. Um, now, DeChambeau, if I'm going to be fair here, did apologize. The only reason he apologized is because he knows 100% that he was wrong, and he certainly probably gauged the backlash from both players, tour sponsors, the press, you name it, fans. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done it. Quote, the comment I made in my post-round interview today was very unprofessional. My frustration, my emotions over the way I drove the ball today boiled over. I suck today, not my equipment. Cobra and I have worked together for over five years, and they are some of the hardest-working people in the golf industry and make an incredible product. Their team is like family to me, especially Ben Showman, who has been there for me every step of the way since I started my career. I deeply regret the words that I used earlier. I am relentless in my pursuit of improvement and perfection. Part of that causes me to become outwardly frustrated at times. With the new speeds I'm obtaining, my game is a constant work in progress, and so is controlling my emotions. 
Could have done with the last paragraph being completely deleted. If you're smart there, you leave it alone after you say, I deeply regret the words I used earlier. This other stuff is excuse-making at the end. This stuff about I'm relentless in my pursuit of improvement and perfection, so is everybody on the tour, man. So is everybody on the tour. So is anybody who has work ethic and cares deeply about their product and their performance. Don't throw that out there as an excuse. Everybody is seeking perfection or excellence. You know, the, the, the part about the new speeds I'm obtaining, get the hell out of here without self-aggrandizing nonsense. So, you know, the other part of the apology would have worked just fine, but he can't do it. He can't do it. It's, it's fun to watch, man. I mean, he's good for the game, but the, he is eminently unlikable. It's the Jeff Cameron Show, 97.9 ESPN Radio. You know, I mentioned that I will not be headed up to Charlotte next week for the ACC kickoff. First time in as many years as I can remember. I've gone every year that I've been here at ESPN, so 10 years, I guess. Um, And uh, it's always a fun time. And one of the reasons that it's a fun time is that uh, you end up crossing paths with people that you really enjoy in this business. You get to talk to writers and coaches and administrators of the various universities that you've gotten to know know over the years could be, uh, you know, guys that I've worked with at ESPN, guys that uh, write for any number of outlets that cover these teams, uh, boots on the ground guys for uh, the beat, if you will, from the different ACC markets. And one of the time-honored traditions of uh, those meetups is that the way it works – you're there at the uh, at, at the at the hotel downtown in the heart of Charlotte, right across the street from uh, the Carolina Panthers field there. And uh, Charlotte's a, a real walkable city. I like Charlotte, um, and there are plenty of great restaurants there. There's this wonderful Irish pub there that I'm going to miss. And uh, one of the places, uh, Mr. Chaffel and I have had a couple of beers at a couple of different places there, and that's always fun. But you meet up with everybody, the consummate professional Tom Block. Keith Jones, Front Row Knowles, guys. Uh, you meet up with uh, David Hale. You meet up with all of these folks, and uh, you belly up. You belly up, and we compare notes, share stories, have a laugh, reflect on yesteryear, and then talk about the upcoming season. A lot of times you'll glean some insight. You'll hear something from somebody you did not know. But uh, that was the reason, beyond it's my job, typically, uh, that I was disappointed about the inability to go to Charlotte this year, that I was going to miss out on those moments and, and those friendships and, and the ability to cross path and paths and ask how people are doing that you don't get to see every day. But I came to realize something yesterday, Matthew, that if I'm going to miss this year or I'm going to miss it all, this is the year to miss. I read to you and my brothers in arms out there on their way to Charlotte early next week. Uh, perk ears up here. You may need to take some supplies. 
Quote, it's just nowhere. Charlotte restaurants, ABC stores, scrambling to find liquor. What? This is a crisis, folks. What is going on here? Charlotte area restaurants and bars, the ones I just alluded to, are reporting outages of popular booze brands like Patron Tequila, Chirac, Kettle One, Tito's Vodkas, Malibu Rum, you name it, amid a global liquor shortage. Really? My goodness, we're now, we've gone too far. This has gone too far. I mean, I understand there's a car shortage. You go on car lots right now. It's hard to find one to buy because they don't have the cars because the chips in the media centers of those cars aren't being manufactured at the same rate they were. It's the problem in the video game industry. For example, Sony would have never rolled out the PS5 with this sort of stop-start nonsense where you can't even find the console if you want it. That's not how you roll out a brand-new product that you want people, consumers, to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on. But because manufacturing of important components of said device are not being made due to COVID, all the shutdowns. But now we're getting into the realm of what allows us to cope with all of these setbacks over the last year. Tongue firmly planted in cheek, I know, but uh, Charlotte apparently has real issues at Picasso's Sports Cafe in University City. You can't find tequila, you can't find whiskey, and you can't find certain beers. Damn it, man. Their manager, Ken Morgan, no doubt hand-wringing, had this to say to the Charlotte Observer. Some of these have just been impossible to get. We haven't been able to stock tequila for months. What in the world? Fortunately, we can get other types of liquor. Well, I do say, I hope, given that you're a liquor store, Oh, don't worry about it, Ken. I didn't come here for the liquor. You got any Pez? I mean, what the hell? What do we... We may not always have their first choice, but we make sure to have a variety of others. <laughs> that doesn't sound very affirming, does it? Like, no, we, we, we don't have that. We don't have tequila. What about whiskey, Bob? Nope, nope, don't have any whiskey either, but uh, might I interest you in some gin? Well, no, no, I wanted whiskey or tequila. Gin is a far cry from either. Uh, no, I don't want gin. But we do have gin. <laughs> the coronavirus pandemic has exacerbated the supply chain issues in several industries, from meats to materials like glass. There are worker shortages. They're hoping as more and more people get vaccinated, life will return to normal. But during Wednesday's regular meeting of the North Carolina Alcoholic Beverage Control Commission, that's a weird commission. What do you do? I work for the North Carolina Alcoholic Beverage Control Commission. How on earth did you get here? There, There's a chairman. His name is Xander. Seems like a good name. Um, and he's addressing the statewide shortage. We are all experiencing the supply and demand shortage. Hopefully that will resolve itself in time. That's not also that anybody can say that. Like he didn't glean any special insight there as being the commissioner of the North Carolina Alcoholic Beverage Control Commission. They go to that guy, Xander, and say, tell us what's on the horizon. What are you doing to help offset this demand and shortage? What is it we can do? 
We're experiencing supply and demand shortage. Hopefully it will resolve itself. My neighbor could have said that here in Florida. I mean, that's it. That's bizarre. So, boys and girls, if you're headed to Charlotte, whether you're going to the ACC kickoff or not, uh, make sure you bring supplies because they don't have it for you there in Charlotte, North Carolina. Sweet Jesus. People are a little on edge in North Carolina, I would think. It's the Jeff Cameron Show, 97.9 ESPN Radio. Oh, team.